Hello, it is Thursday, June 4th. Had to keep it real for a moment. Then a great conversation follows that, and another, and another. And I can't thank you enough for choosing to listen today. If you like the show, please tell a friend. If you don't like the show, just act like it never happened. Let's do this. We're going to come away from this thing together as one. I honestly believe that. Here's why. We are back after a one-day hiatus. Yesterday, we participated in the Blackout Tuesday, a pause on social media to raise more awareness for social justice. Now, that was obviously met with mixed reviews from both sides of the line, but when I woke up yesterday and I put a black image up on my Instagram and on my Twitter, and the rest of the boys did as well, I saw that not only it was me, but it was a lot of people that I respect in the African-American culture. It was a lot of people staying that hey although you might not be protesting with us and might not be walking on the streets and you believe in our mission here's a way for you to take a stand and say hey listen i value the lives of everybody in america i value african americans i value what they could potentially bring to the table in our world in the future i value a world where everybody is treated the same the ideals of america are met and i said that is definitely what this office stands for we've been on the side of justice on this in this particular office for this entire time when george floyd passed the next day although i am very much known as a person that's just supposed to dance monkey dance and give you a mental vacation vacation, we had to take a stand and say, hey, listen, here's the deal. We know that in the past, officers have murdered black people in fashions and ways that we could never really understand. Unarmed black men and unarmed black women were passing away from cops in the past, and there was never a time, aside from the George Floyd situation, and I think it was because of the quarantine and the lockdown and the coronavirus, where the entire country came together and said that can't happen. That was a week ago. The entire world was like, hey, listen, what happened to George Floyd can't happen again. The year 2020 was potentially going to be the time where although a lot of terrible things have happened with the coronavirus and a potential world war that popped off in 2020 was this absolute cluster truck of a year when George Floyd was killed on camera for eight minutes and 40 some seconds, the entire country said, you know what? Now we are in a place where we won't let that fly any longer. Protests happened across the country. Messages were being stated. Words were being said that a lot of white people had probably never heard before. Hey, it isn't just cops killing black people, although that is something that happens. And the white person's answer is normally, well, black people kill black people as well. Well, that's not the point. The point is people are put in a position of power to protect and serve a community. And in the end, too often or not, those particular people are killing black people in their community and their culture. So the conversation is, well, is that all cops? No, it's obviously not all cops. And I hope that everybody understands that as well. Just because you post a black, uh, black image yesterday for Blackout Tuesday doesn't mean you're against cops, but you are against bad cops. And I've heard a lot of good cops say that nobody hates a bad cop more than a good cop. And I believe this weekend's protests and this weekend's message and the George Floyd legacy could have been one where everybody took a stand and said, hey, there's no more bad cops. And while we're at it, we need a little bit more self-awareness. And I saw just two nights ago, protesters in Indianapolis marching towards the governor's house which is a little bit outside of the city the governor had his state police outside of his mansion because it had been said that they were coming towards his house 
Those state police, I would assume, are pretty high up in the state police. They're the ones that are protecting the governor. And when the protesters got there, there was a standoff. The cops had their shields on. They had their batons. They were ready for the riot. And the protesters were absolutely peaceful. Now, granted, some of them had high lie things, mm -hmm. the sport you do. Some of them had tennis rackets. And I don't know if that was for potential catch and throwback of tear gas bombs or things of that nature. I don't know what they were expecting. But while they got close to each other, there was a yell off. Protesters are yelling at the cops for being bad cops. And I would assume some of the cops were like, hey, we hate the bad cops just as much as you do. Then all of a sudden, in a beautiful moment, the cops and the protesters started to embrace each other. They hugged each other. Then the, the cops took their riot gear off. The cops then marched with the protesters down the middle of a street in a city that was supposed to be open, marching alongside of them, trying to hear each other out, trying to talk. I thought it was a beautiful step in the moments that we could potentially have officers of the law understand the black community a little bit more. I posted this. Immediately upon posting it, there was backlash from both sides. The, the super anti-Black Lives Matter group started tweeting, well, the cops should, should arrest all of them. They're stopping the streets. They're the ones that burn the things down. And then the, the Black Lives Matter people were upset about it because they were like, no, as soon as this camera goes off, they're going to tear gas and they're going to shoot rubber bullets at all those protesters again. It's like, well, damn. Is there anything that can happen that'll make everybody happy? And the only thing I can think about is one week ago, we were at a standpoint where everybody was on the same page. Now, granted, that narrative got distracted and moved whenever looters and rioters and opportunists took advantage of a protest that was something for good, and they started burning down our cities. It happened here in Indianapolis, happened in Minneapolis, happened in Pittsburgh, happened in Madison, Wisconsin, happened in New York, happened in LA, happened in Boston. All these places, the only thing that was being shown late at night was these cities getting burnt down. Down. And the conversation moved from, hey, we're all in this together. It's no longer just Minneapolis being upset about George Floyd's passing. It's no longer just Baltimore. It's no longer just New York. It is the entire country marching. And what happened on the back end of that was riots, protests, or riots, looters, assaults, violence. In Indianapolis, we had a guy that was protesting, a big member of our downtown community, Chris Beatty, former IU football player, an African-American man. He was shot and killed by somebody who was trying to loot and steal and, and just take advantage of the situation. Absolutely sad scenario. But I do believe if we can all understand that we are all on the same side here, this isn't white versus black. This isn't race versus race. This is one race, the human race versus racist. And I believe 2020 is the year that we could potentially all take a stand. Yesterday, I saw... Some black people tweeting me saying, we need help, and the only thing white people are doing is tweeting a black box. It's like, well, when I woke up yesterday, I was under the impression that if I was to do that, it would be me stating, hey, we're all in this thing together, no matter where you're from or what color you are. Then I saw white people tweeting to me saying, you think that's going to stop racism doing that? I hope it is a chance for people who maybe follow me, who never interact with black people, just to understand like, hey, I value, as should you, and realize that there are some things of our system and some things in our country, and there's some things that we can change and we can directly affect and make things better just by coming together.
And I think that is what is going to ultimately happen. Last night in cities across the country, in New Orleans, there was a hug between a cop and a protester. When just a couple of days ago, they were all lined up ready to go. Indianapolis, the same thing. I assume it's happening in cities where I haven't seen the video. And everybody's on the same page. The message is one that needs to get heard. The riots, the looting, the vandalism, the fighting, which nobody understands who's directing it, who's involved there, why it's happening that is people that we none of us like everybody hates those people the black lives matter folks hate them because they're distracting the message that hey we can change some things laws that have been in place for so long that directly target a community are things that should be changed then there's acts in there that protect police whenever they have misconduct that it doesn't have to become public information so then whenever something comes out that they kill somebody like dave chauffin who had 18 police misconducts on his record and then finally his last act is a police officer is murdering somebody on camera and causing now granted george floyd's passing is very sad his murder is very sad but maybe this is a time whenever you see cops and protesters hugging and then us, us all come together that we can make our country one that was founded on opportunity one that was founded on freedom truly be for everybody that lives within our borders and that's where we stand and that's why we took the day off yesterday completely i didn't love that it was on election day especially in indiana i didn't love that people couldn't promote other people to go vote i didn't love that espn and fox sports one and everybody else was still doing their shows but i felt a great sense of pride that everybody in this office was like hey Although we haven't been a part of the protest and we have used our platform to promote this message of togetherness and getting things right for our next generation of humans, whether it's my children, whether it's African-American children, Latino children, maybe we all can live in a world where it's good. But we took that stand together here and we will forever believe that. And I hope and I think that everybody who has a sane mind feels the exact same way. Our country's been embattled. There's been a lot going on. But on the opposite side of this thing, I think will be a better place for everybody. I hope so. There's always going to be idiots, though. Every single profession, there's going to be a chance that there's a bad apple in there. That's just something that could potentially happen. I just hope that our togetherness, our unity, our unified voices will be stronger than one hole of an ass who can drive a wedge into us. And I pray for that day to happen. I hope for that day to happen. And yesterday, that's why we took the day off, because we are in for that particular set of ideals. Shout out to Roman. Obviously, everybody knows Roman is the men's health brand that is trying to help you be the best you. Whether it's hair products, skin products, you name it, they have it to make you the ultimate you. The thing that we are currently uh, selling you and informing you about is quarantine sex is a real thing, okay? Get a little bit boring. Why don't you have some long sex? Why don't you have the best sex you've ever had in your life? Why don't you have sex after rubbing some Roman swipes on your shaft? Yes, Roman swipes are these geniusly crafted swipes that you rub on your baby maker moments before fornication. And it'll make you have longer, better sex. And it won't transfer to your partner so nobody will even know that you were taking a performance-enhancing Swipe. It arrives in your door, at your door, 
indiscreet packaging. It's small enough to go in your pocket. Nobody will know you have it. And nobody knows that you have a secret weapon, a tag team partner in your pocket that's going to make you have longer, better sex. And right now, go to GetRoman.com forward slash Pat. Get free two-day shipping right now. It's a good deal. It'll make you better in a sack. GetRoman.com forward slash Pat. Ladies and gentlemen, joining us now is a man who is an MLB All-Star pitcher for the Cincinnati Reds, Trevor Bauer! Out of boy, Trevor! What's up, guys? <laughs> I can't thank you. Quite the intro. Yeah, well, you deserve it, man. You're awesome. The reason why this happened is because you took to the internet about a week ago, uh, and we're talking about how there's potentially some narratives and agendas being worked into this potential collective bargaining to get back into the MLB season after this quarantine thing kind of lets up a little bit. And I tweeted you, and I said, hey, I'm all about a good burial of somebody that's being a selfish stooge. Let's talk about it. So I thank you so much for joining us today. This is very <laughs> very 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 cool of you let's talk about it though the mlb and the mlbpa are currently in a situation it seems like a standoff the mlbpa made their offer back the other day where do you sit on this entire thing and what are your feelings about a potential season coming back i think the first the first thing that we got to talk about is you know i'm very confident that a season will be back okay. um, like 95 to 100 percent okay, we'll okay. so oh, that's big yeah. news yeah, yeah, for sure. I think that we have a long history of obviously, you know, <laughs> negotiating with each other as the MLBPA and MLB, but there's been a long history of labor peace. I think we're 26 years now, 20 since 94, depending on how you count that that year. Yeah. So 20, 26-ish years now of, of labor peace, and i got to imagine there's going to be, uh, it'll be the same thing this time. We'll get a deal worked out, no, no doubt in my mind about that. There's no way there won't be baseball this year, in my opinion, oh. so... And the comment about Scott Boris. Now, that's a, that's an agent, by the way, who has he signed a billion dollars worth of guarantee contracts this offseason. I didn't know he existed until you tweeted about him, and then I kind of did some research about him. Were you referring to the potential people inside the MLBPA that are pushing the narrative like, hey, we need this money to get figured out. We need money to get figured out. We need money to get figured out. Were you thinking like, hey, we're in the middle of a 38 million people being unemployed, a completely different world. Should we have a little bit more brains instead of just business side? Is that why you went after Scott Boris, or what was your full motive there? Yeah, so there's been a lot of rumors in the industry. Obviously, anytime you're involved in an industry, uh, you hear a lot of different things from a lot of different people. Some of them are true, some of them aren't true. There's a lot of stuff that flur- uh, swirls around, and people have their own motives and all this different stuff. But anytime someone comes out and is trying to, um, I guess the way I interpreted it was he was trying to tell players, not just his players, but you know, doing media interviews and, and stuff like this, exactly how they should be negotiating this, how they should be viewing it. And that's not really his job. His job is to do that for his players, for sure. But like for me personally, I don't want to be represented by Scott Boris. I haven't re- I haven't asked Scott Boris to represent me, and I don't want his opinions and the way he goes about negotiating for his clients to necessarily be the way I go about it and the way my representation goes about representing me. And my representation being the agent that I've chosen to be represented by the agency and also the PA. So I think it's good that everyone has opinions, but I think they need to be kept to their opinions and to their clients. And you can, you can share your opinion about what's going on and breaking it down and giving fans some insight into this is what the deal means or you know just trying to educate people. But the opinions on what should be happening and how players should be negotiating and like you know all this stuff saying players should not take another pay cut, regardless if I believe it or not, 
you know, th this is stuff that needs to go on behind closed doors. Because as you brought up, there's a lot of people that are unemployed right now. And there's a lot of other risks, too. It's not just the financial aspect of it. Look, there's uh, a global pandemic going on. And players are going to be the ones out there in close contact with each other playing sports. So we need to address the health concerns. And it's not just the players. Like, as, as much as the players want to get back out there, and generally athletes are more risk takers than not risk takers as a whole, uh, it's not just us. It's the, the coaches. It's the medical staff. It's the front office staff and everybody's families that may be in that at-risk category may have health concerns may not be in as good a shape as athletes are so I, all these things are going to have to be going on behind closed doors anyway the, like the, the mlbpa and mlb are going to have to sit down and talk and come to an agreement at some point and they're going to do that behind closed doors so why we're having someone out saying this is how the players you know should uh should feel or should negotiate it, it just does no good I think, yeah, because the big narrative right now is that, okay, the MLB and the MLBPA might not have a season. You're saying 95% they will, but the narrative is they can't figure out the money, the money, the money. And when Scott Boris comes out and says, well, players should do this, they shouldn't accept this, all of a sudden the fans are like, well, it's obviously the players that are not going to be able to do the money side of this thing. So the players look bad, where I assume there's a lot of players in the MLB that are like, hey, we want to play just as bad as everybody, like we want to play as well. And that's, I think you're 100% right for saying like, these are conversations yeah. that should be happening behind closed doors and if you look at the nfl by the way the nfl has all these conversations behind closed doors you rarely see any of this shit leak out to the public you know and that's you're 100 percent right in that i think yeah two things on that one i haven't spoken to a single player yet that does not want to play baseball this season everyone is like okay i want to play i want to get out there and play i like we this is what we're supposed to be doing we all love to play like we Yes, it's tied to the financial ability to like take care of our families. I think you know sixty percent of MLB players or something make under a million dollars a year. Uh, I, I could be wrong on those percentages, but there's a lot, a large portion of people that are on the league minimum that don't make even close to a million dollars a year, and they're looking at pay cuts. And then you know they have a family and a house and payments and all that different stuff. So there's the financial side of it, but there's also the understanding that this is good for the country. You know, we want to be out there entertaining people. That's at the end of the day, we're entertainers. Yeah, we play a game. We want to win a World Series, but we're entertainers. We entertain millions of people on a nightly basis. But we want to be out there doing that. We want to have some sense of normalcy. At the same time, like we recognize that there's added risk, and in anything, you don't want to be taken advantage of for no reason. So this is why we have our union to negotiate in the best interest of the players. Uh, but then my other point on that is. You know, MLB has come out and made a lot of this about the financial side of things. You know, it was the, you know, partially, I, I have to explain this part. So partially in the in the original agreement, there are these things that are laid out of like, okay, if, if X, Y, and Z are met, we can restart a season. If they're not, we'll discuss the financial feasibility and the health concerns of potentially starting a season. So because the original things have not yet been met, this is why we're having these negotiations and we're discussing the potential start of a season. Um, so that's good. And then we just drive a wedge home right in between the fans and the players by making it all about the money and yeah, not yeah. about you know the other stuff. And so for a long-term strategy as MLB, like, I don't know any other company that would intentionally sit there and drive a wedge between their customer and their product. <laughs> it doesn't make sense that you would try to have your customers hate your product and think that that's good for a long-term strategy. So when all these details about you know, uh, oh, it's going to be a 50-50 revenue split gets leaked to the media. Originally, there was not even a financial proposal that was ever made to the union that reflected a 50-50 financial 
Uh, They're lying, split. Trevor. They, these people the, are lying to spin their narrative. No, <laughs> that would never happen. Hey, I'm not accusing. I'm not accusing anyone of lying. But when you leak it and you say, "Okay, uh, we're going to put this out there in the public as a negotiation strategy. We're going to put it out there in the public. We're going to see how people react to it. We're going to see how players react to it. We're going to judge." You know that the if they're unified or not, if there's argumentation between the players or not, like then the fans look at the players and say, "Oh, MLB thinks we can be back," but the players oh, yeah. are greedy and they don't want the money, and so now you have a wedge between the fans and the players. It just makes no sense long term. So it's the it's the let me try to get the best deal of this year and sacrifice the the long term health of everybody in the industry. It doesn't make any this happens anytime there's a collective bargaining conversation. The NFL sees it, the NFL will leak all the good things from their side of the negotiations and then all of a sudden the PR war is already won by the NFL before the players can even get out and start speaking and it's always going to be the fans are on the side of the owners because the owners are there before the players and they'll be there after the players. But I think once fans start to realize that hey, some of this is just some BS that's getting spun on one side and some of this is just it's like, hey, we're trying to figure this out. It's very interesting how the PR can win a negotiation before you even get in there. I'm very happy to hear, though, that you're saying 95%. Like, yeah. you're the only person I've heard, I think, that knows the baseball world that's like, hey, good chance baseball's coming back. Because I thought there was a chance, Trevor, that... <laughs> You guys were going to potentially strike. And I've been watching the live at-bats uh, from your Momentum Company on YouTube. Absolutely incredible. These live at-bats concept, I want to let you know, is brilliant. It's genius. I wish that they had a camera from the same angle that you're shooting. Basically, for the people that are listening or watching that haven't seen these yet, Trevor and a couple guys in the MLB went out in the middle of the fucking desert. It looked like, is that an accurate assessment? Out in the middle of the yep. desert? And they set up a uh, pitcher's mound, a net, and a, a batter. And they were able to social distance. They kept this whole thing. And they were doing live reps. I had never seen a pitcher practice before. It was like a practice. It was awesome to watch. It was a brilliant idea by you. Yeah, it's so much fun. Uh, again, just going back to the players wanting to play baseball. This is what we want to do. So, like, even in my, I guess, now off time, you know, if you want to consider it that, like I'm trying to get out there and face hitters because that's I love doing that. I love the competition. It's like, hey, you and me, we're going to go at each other. We're going to see who wins. We're going to talk a little trash along the way. And I think that's the the concept of having the players mic'd up so the fans can hear like what's going on and see the personalities of the players is so intriguing. I watch the NFL. You know, they they do the mic'd up postseason and the oh, yeah. NFL films and stuff. It's awesome. And so we, we're trying to incorporate some of that stuff into into baseball and just showing that. Hey, guys are out here being responsible, getting our work in. We're ready to go, but we're also having fun and, and trying to play the game that we love. We're live at bats, right? If you just search live at bats, uh -huh. Trevor Bauer momentum, you find it, right? I hope. Yeah, absolutely. But what I was saying is I was watching that because I thought there was potentially going to have to be scab baseball players and I was ready. <laughs> what would you do if I got into a batter's box? Because I want to come out there. But Is there any way I can come out to where you pitch out in the Dude, middle? Of the absolutely. Game? Let's yeah. get you out here. Come on. Where is it? It looks like you're out in the middle of literally like Area 51. <laughs> where are you? You're pitching into a well, bush, it seems like. Yeah, Arizona uh, is a lot of desert. So <laughs> we get out a little bit from the city in Phoenix. We get out on the outskirts a little bit and uh there's plenty of places out there you gotta watch out for rattlesnakes uh that's part of it you gotta dodge those guys but <laughs> trevor i want to let you know i played baseball one time in my life okay one time i played for the washington wild things frontier league we, we recorded it you can watch it now pat mcfee professional baseball player it was my only time ever on a diamond i play hockey right-handed i golf right-handed i assume i would bat right-handed but once we got done with the game i was by the way, three at-bats, 
uh, make contacts every time. Guy was pitching 90 plus miles an hour. No go, big, let's go. Wow. no big deal, Trevor. Yeah. No big wow. deal. Okay, but I think it wasn't until after we did that that we learned. I think I'm a lefty, so I think I need to. Whenever I come out to live at bats, I'm gonna go lefty because I think I'm supposed to be a more natural lefty. Let me know what you think of this hack here, Trevor. Wait. Let's just make sure we don't. Oh, watch dude. out for that! Watch out for that TV, that sign it's, in the back. Nah, oh, Trevor, Trevor, get, get off my ass, okay? <laughs> I almost broke that TV last week with a pretty big hack. I don't know if you saw that or not. I almost took. I the, did. I did. <laughs> almost, we had to move it before this because we knew I was probably going to have to swing this bat again. All right. Horn, ready? I don't like it. Bad pitch. Good Come on, kid. Come on, kid. Here, hold, hold. <laughs> hold on now, pitcher. <laughs> hold on. Oh, oh, still wait. It's going to shut. No, that's me pointing at Trevor. <laughs> Go and pitch that ball. Oh! 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 What? Trevor, you scared him? Maybe I don't come to the desert, huh? Do you think maybe I don't come? <laughs> no, I'm not. I ain't scared of anything. Let's get it going. Who's we'll, put some, we'll put some side bets on it. We'll get the, Ooh, we'll get yeah. the hecklers out there. Oh, we'll get antsy out there. Who are some batters, though, <laughs> that when they step into the box, you know, like, okay, if I miss just a little bit, this could be a real problem. Is that what's going through your head before you're pitching? Ah, man. Yeah, Manny Machado, just because he hits like 700 off me. with, <laughs> I think he has over a 2,000 slugging percentage, which means he averages more than a double per at-bat. <laughs> <off me. laughs> so. so when he steps into the batter's box, you're like, all right. I was like, ah, come on, I don't, just, just go to, just walk, just go to first. <laughs> don't, don't hit a homer, please. They say that, um, I forget what movie that was, uh, where the guy says lock in, he's a pitcher, and it kind of blurs uh, out. Yeah. What's that? Do you know what that's clear, called? Clear the mechanism. Yeah. Um, for love of the game. Yes, for love. Of the, they show that at a lot of kicking camps, right? Because kicking and punting the same exact mindset. Now, granted, you're doing a lot more, a lot more reps and things like that. But they try to teach you to clear the mechanism, like, hey, it's just you and the ball and stuff like that. Is that what it's like for you when you're pitching? You get in a zone, you have no idea what's going on. Let's say you're having a perfect game or something. If somebody mentions, is all that stuff that you hear about from outside the baseball world true? Yeah, it is. Uh, but for me, anyway, how I experience it, it's all retroactive. So in the moment, I don't, I don't realize that I'm like in the zone or anything like that. And then after the game, someone will be like, "Oh, did you see this guy like streak across the field in the fifth inning?" Like, I had no idea. I have no <laughs> recollection of that. Are you kidding? They'll show me the video. I'm like, I don't know where I was. I don't. I didn't see that at all. Uh, so yeah, or like, did you hear this guy yelling at you in the stands? Did you see this sign over the dugout? No, I didn't see any of that because uh, because I was in, you know locked in. And there's other times where I'm like sitting there with teammates and I'm talking about it. I'm like, oh yeah, do you see this? Like, there's this guy in the stands above the dugout. Like, when I'm pitching, and I think in my head, I'm like, uh oh, that no, ain't good. No, today's probably not the day. <laughs> today's probably not the day, coach. All right, we're not mentally here. We got some people. Uh, those conversations when they come out to talk to you, what's going on? Are they just trying to slow you down, give you a breath? Like, what are those conversations normally like? I've never been a part of one, obviously. Yeah, yeah. So it's uh, a lot of it is not technical. I think most people think that they're coming out there to give you advice, mechanical advice, you know, whatever like that. It's not that. It's uh, hey, go ahead and take a breath. We're gonna try to get ahead of this guy. Um, you know, what do you want to do right here? Let's just get on the same page with the catcher. Most of it is is just to break the rhythm, just to get some sort of like you know, because things are kind of spiraling, and so you just stop it and try to break things and see if it gets back on a better track. Um, I got a, a great story of one of these things. Is, here we go. Hey, um, here we yeah. go. We like great stories. <laughs> we like great stories. So a, a pitching coach that I'm close with, um, I, won't, I won't name his name just to keep him out of it, but 
Uh, he's got a rookie pitcher on the mound who's like spiraling, you know, uh, bases loaded, uh, one out, just walked like four guys in a row. He walked in a run. So the guy, you know, pitching coach is like, man, I don't, I don't know this guy at all. It's his first start, first time I met him. I, I don't know what to tell the guy. Like the manager's like, hey, go talk to him. And he's like, man, what do I do? So he walks out to the mound, whole time thinking about what am I going to say. And he goes, hey, kid, um, yeah, I really, I really got to really gotta do a number two right now. And uh, I can't leave the dugout until you get out of this, so I don't really want to crap my pants. Uh, so I need I need you to get a double play right here and get out of this. And he turns around, like pinches his butt together, and like waddles back in the dugout. And like two pitches later, the guy rolls over and double play, and the guy gets out of it. And manager's like, "Hey, what'd you say to him?" He's like, hey, "You don't you don't want to know." <laughs> you know but <laughs> that's the type of stuff that goes on out there. Just something to like break the the rhythm and uh, you know, because the the pitcher's out there just spinning. He's in his own head. He's thinking. You know, so you, you make him laugh a little bit and it just resets everything. So. Those double plays and things like that, you can throw for those. I've been learning. I, I didn't even know that that is that is an actual strategy. If you throw it at this particular place, good chance it's gonna roll into a double play. And that is your your favorite you I watched on the live at bats whenever uh Kali was just um he was murdering you at the beginning of that thing. <laughs> you said, uh, "You said, all right, I'm gonna go to my curveball." Normally, I go to my curveball when everything's kind of falling apart, and then you got him a couple of times. Do you have that pitch that's sitting in the back, like, "All right, it seems to be going out of control here. Let's go to our bread and butter and let's feed it." And do batters know that that's coming? And does that kind of set you into an interesting standpoint there? Yeah, for sure. Um, for me, to lefties, for sure, it's my curveball. I've been throwing my curveball since I was 10 years old. So I have you know 18 or 19, I guess 19 years now of throwing it. So it's, it's my most trusted off-speed pitch. Uh, and so when I get into a jam, it's like, all right, this is my best off-speed pitch, my most trusted one, and I'm just going to throw it. And if you beat me on my best pitch, like that's fine because that's all I got right now. And I can tell the hitter, hey, he probably knows all curveballs are coming. <laughs> Uh, and it's just a matter of like, you know, is my curveball better in this situation than your ability to hit it? Uh, and so at, at the end of the day, that just becomes like a last stand mentality. Like, okay, I'm, I'm gassed. I got nothing left. Like I'm going with this and you're going to, you're going to go with that, what you got. And we're going to see who wins type of thing. So yeah, I definitely, I definitely fall into those categories sometimes. When I, um, when I played that baseball for the Washington wild things, that pitcher obviously knew that I had never played baseball before. It was a little bit of a marketing ploy. There was people all over the place for it. And I was told by every baseball player, it was like, he's only going to throw you the fastball because if he throws you anything else, everybody in the baseball community will mock him. If his <laughs> fastball can't beat a guy that's never played baseball before, you should not be on the mound. Is that an accurate assessment? And why did he throw me a fucking curveball? <laughs> I was Just to be a dick, I think. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 Um, no, I think I think it's true, but the fastball is definitely the easiest pitch to hit uh, for the for the uninitiated, for the people who haven't played a ton. I, I mean, even I mean, for the vast majority of big leaguers, they, all you see is a fastball. You don't see things that are that are moving coming at you because anytime someone throws something at you, it has a, a fastball trajectory. Every time you play baseball as a kid, you play catch, so you just see this like flat fastball trajectory the, the entire time. It's the fastest pitch, so it beats bat speed a lot. But it's also, in my opinion, the easiest one to to line up and to hit. Um, so there's different ways of looking at it. I mean, if I face you in live ABs, I'll probably just throw you all fastballs and we'll see what happens. Well, uh, I'm batting from the wrong side of the plate this entire time against this guy. Yeah. I, I couldn't even fathom what I'm going to do from the left side. You saw what I did uh, on can, TV. I'll, I'll tell you, I'll tell you what's coming. We'll, we'll line it up. My fastball has a good, a good, uh, track record of finding the barrel. So <laughs> <laughs> you have a pretty good, you have a pretty good chance here, I think. How many years have you been playing in the big leagues? 
I uh, made my debut in 2012. I've been up uh, since t- middle of 2014 consistently. Congratulations. Not easy, especially in the baseball world. What was it like coming up, like through the minors and everything like that? Because they say the big thing for hitters is you can do well in the minors, but once you get to the majors, if you can't hit a curveball, you're done for. For a pitcher, mm-hmm. what was it like in the minors, like kind of finding your way, and how long were you down there before you got called up? So I was down and I got drafted in 2011. I spent two months down in the minor leagues and I spent two months in the beginning of 2012. So I was four months before I made my debut, uh, which That's is super long, fast. Right? I was the first, yeah, I was the first person from my draft class to, to make it to the big leagues. Um, and then I sucked. That's hockey. Big hockey fan over here. So I'm, I'm aware. Okay. Um, but yeah, I made it. I made my debut. I was up for twenty days and I sucked. There we go. Yeah. Hey, you got any Bauer sticks? Nah, CCM only, cuz. Right. Okay. Is that your That's family? Fair. No. <laughs> Same name, so. <laughs> um, but yeah, when I when I went back down, uh, the biggest thing is in the minor leagues, I can get guys to swing at my curveball out of the zone, high fastballs. They they swing a lot more. They're undisciplined hitters. Uh, when you get to the big leagues, guys just they, they realize I didn't throw a lot of strikes, so they just took, and I walked a lot of people. And then when I would have to throw a strike, they'd hit it, and I'd give up a lot of runs. So for me, it was the consistency of like, how do I get guys out in in the zone instead of getting guys to chase? And something I couldn't really learn in the minor leagues because guys were chasing. Uh, so that, that was the dominant strategy. But it, it flips completely when you get to the big leagues. Yeah, Trevor. So you you were in the AL for most of your career, and then when you come to the NL and you have to bat for the first time, like are pitchers just throwing you fastballs? And like, what's your mentality being in a hitter for the first time in your career? Yeah. So uh, something that everyone should know: I used to joke with my dad when I was eight years old and I was still hitting that I was in an eight-year slump, <laughs> and uh, yeah, I, I couldn't hit little league pitching. Uh, I was made a defensive replacement my freshman year in high school, and then by my sophomore year, I was a pitcher only. So my time in the box has not been very productive for me, and I generally don't like doing things that I'm not good at. So I hate hitting. I absolutely loathe it. Um, how come so, yeah, you guys first... suck at it? How can, how, why do pitchers suck at it? For, in my eyes, it would be something like, for instance, and it's much different scenario here, but like I feel I could catch a punt better than most punt returners because I know what the ball is going to do. Does that not mm. carry over for you? Like, does that not help? I, apparently not. I mean, right? <laughs> no, it does. It does. I know exactly what the ball is going to do, and I know exactly what the pitcher is going to try to do to me. I can follow along with the sequence. I understand what's coming. It's just I haven't spent nearly enough time actually doing the reps to be able to hit it. Like, I, I know a fastball is coming, and I'm going to swing at a fastball, and I'm just going to, like, miss it or break my bat, follow my hands. Like, <laughs> you know, I don't know. Uh, probably just haven't spent enough time in the box, and also my swing is terrible. You know, my swing mechanics are just <laughs> is it really worse bad. or better than mine? Is it worse or better than mine? Probably, probably worse. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> Homer, Homer, Homer. That one's gone. Maybe you should think about walking <laughs> through the box. What? You're a righty, I assume. Yeah. Maybe do like that beer league softball, start in the back, and then just kind of walk up to it. You know what I mean? Like. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Happy Gilmore. <laughs> You know what I'm talking just about? I'm just trying to help you out here. I'm a big time hitter. You know what I mean? I, yeah, I need I need all the advice I can get. So is it true uh, yeah, because it w- of the lack of reps though? That is 100 percent what it is. That's why pitchers normally suck at hitting. Because why? Because that that's a wasted rep on your arm or your body when you could potentially be resting. Or what is it? I just I just think that it's the the time investment. You know, over the course of 20 years when you're growing up, like you throw a lot, and so pitchers they start specializing. They they throw bullpens. They pitch. 
Um, they don't spend as much time in the box or getting those at bats in the game. And it's really hard to specialize in two things. You know, I imagine, um, you know, specializing as a, as a quarterback and as a punter, like they're two very different skills, right? So if you want to be elite at being a punter, like you can't be spending half your time trying to be elite being a quarterback. Uh, there's some people that can do it. Michael Lorenzen's one that jumps to mind, but you know he didn't start pitching until in college. So he spent his entire life, you know, being a hitter. And then because he was really athletic and he was really strong, he threw really hard. And so then he adapted that to the mound. Uh, I think it's a lot easier to go from being a hitter to being a pitcher than it is from being a pitcher to being a hitter. That's awesome. That's great insight. Really. I, I feel like I just learned a lot because I didn't grow up in the baseball community. So I was always confused. I'm like, these pitchers, you know what's coming. What ha- Well, it takes a lot of work to get there. I saw a video, I think, of you standing on a mound and then turning around and throwing the baseball out of the stadium. Mm-hmm. We need some more of that. <laughs> hey, uh, I've talked to a lot of pitchers uh, over my time in the league and in baseball in general, and there's everybody was, at some point in their career has wanted to do that. Um, <laughs> that that's... <laughs> everyone's been there they've been super frustrated about everything that's going on in the game and like you know it's a day where i'm not feeling good at all and nothing goes my way and you're just stranded out there everyone's looking at you and you're like i got nothing and this sucks and everyone's been there that's just i i actually did it so i'll be the one that goes down as the the immature one but uh yeah i've been, I've been there multiple times where i've wanted to and finally just snapped and did it did you get drafted out of high school or did you go to college no, so I actually I graduated high school half a year early, so I I didn't even play my senior season. I played my freshman year of college in what would have been my senior season of high school. Um, oh my god! So you so, had to be yeah. just phenom. If you were the fastest up, and you seemed to be the youngest in the draft class, you were phenom coming out. I assume where from? Uh, Valencia, California, um, Los Angeles area, and then out of UCLA. Jeez, man. So yeah, I uh, how fast? I got what's good fast, at throwing what, a ball. What do you get to? But, what did you get? Did you lose speed as you get older, or do you gain speed as you become like a man? All right, the vast majority of people in the big leagues lose velocity as their career goes along, and I think it's because they just stop trying to throw hard. Uh, I've actually gained velocity, or at least made. That's our guy. Yeah. Yeah. That's our guy, Trevor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was ticking up until last year. I was hurt uh, a good amount of last year, and so my velocity dropped like. Point three miles an hour or something for the first time in four years. Yeah, it's but, probably yeah. the gun. Probably the gun. If I had to guess, <laughs> it's not you. Have you had the Tommy on already? Nope. Trying to avoid that one. Yeah, it sounds like one you should think about. But doesn't your arm get faster, stronger, like Henry Rowan Gardner on the other <laughs> side of that thing? Hey, there's actually, you know, look, I don't want to minimize what what guys go through in Tommy John. So it's it's important to say first, the recovery sucks and it's never fun to be hurt. And that, like mentally, it's extremely draining just being going yeah. in and doing the same thing over and over for nine months, twelve months, sometimes as long as fifteen or eighteen months. So Shoot. that sucks. Um, theoretically speaking, though, uh, from a physics standpoint, yeah, you can throw harder if you have a stronger ligament if you organize your body in such a way to make use of that. Um, cool. So some guys come back and throw harder. Some guys come back and throw slower. Some guys never get back. It's just kind of a mixed bag. But yeah, there's not the, the Henry Rowan Gardner thing is not uh, what's that? not completely 
far-fetched, I guess. There's there's some argument to be made that that could be a thing. Well, I was about to say, please do not ruin that. Please <laughs> do not ruin Rowan Gardner. Ben Roethlisberger got that surgery, uh, quarterback for the Steelers. He got Tommy John. Not normal for our sport. Nobody knows what's yep. going to happen on the other side of this thing. Yeah, is he going through that right now? Yeah, he's on the other side. He's been throwing, though, so they're thinking he's back. But the Tommy John thing, just like all surgeries, by the way, rehab is a pain in the ass. But with Tommy John, especially at his age, nobody had a clue what was going to happen other than – so once he started throwing footballs again, a lot of Pittsburghers started breathing a sigh of relief. But nobody knows what's going to happen on the other side of it. Yeah, it's tough, especially when you get older, too. Uh, like when you have surgery when you're young and, and you're still growing, you're, I mean, the hormone levels are still up. Like you're still becoming a man, uh, you heal better, you heal faster, you heal stronger, stuff like that. When you get on the other end of it, which is, I'm, I'm starting to get towards that that downhill slope uh, myself, but uh, you don't heal nearly as fast, you don't recover nearly as fast, the tissue you rebuild in surgery and stuff may not be of the highest quality, uh, so there's a lot of concerns outside of just the normal, like, hey, it's a surgery, it's, an, it's unknown, regardless of how... Uh, effective it is overall like you just don't know when you get put under anesthesia when you get cut open you have no idea how your body's going to respond so lots of concerns there for sure all right so before we get out of here uh i might pitch in my next uh game i've decided I, i've never pitched before it, it is the curveball we just sit up here on this one right here don't we huh that's what we do yeah so think about uh i'll give you a quick little tip Thank if you. you think about throwing a football and uh, your hands on the side of the ball, right? Yep, bingo. So you want to keep this whole line very stiff. A lot of people think that you want to curl your wrist or like snap your wrist or something like that. Yeah. No. No. You keep this very, very stiff yeah. and you just drive that hand forward. And at some point your fingers get in front of the ball. Yep. And then that's how the curveball spins. Okay. So when I'm about to throw a curveball, if I'm playing against a team, let's assume it's in uh, AAA probably is where I'll end up next. Oh, yeah. Probably Snap, AAA. Maybe majors. Playing the Frontier League. Maybe the majors. Maybe. He can't I mean, rule it out. He said 5% chance that they don't play. They might need replacement players. I'll be Shane <laughs> Falco out there. You know what I'm talking about. So if if I'm going to go throw the curveball and uh, I hear the other team banging on drums to signify that I'm about to throw a curveball, what should my immediate reaction be there? Uh, you should throw it anyway. Uh, and you just make it good enough that they can't hit it. I think. I think with this tip here, you know, I think they're going to be in trouble anyway. What was your My, th thoughts on that entire thing? That was wild. That was why it's forgotten about at this point because we've had uh, Tiger King, we've had uh, last court, dance. we've had the Last Dance, we've had Lance Armstrong, Jet, jet Passing, we've had Lance. Ar I mean, we we have had a lot of things happen since then. But the Astros, that was a big deal, especially for pitchers. I'd assume, like, hey, did you feel like? After that, and you found out about that, did you think, oh, that was possible teams were doing that type of thing, or was that kind of blown out of proportion, or were you pissed about that thing, which I would assume you'd be completely okay to be? I, I knew about it from, like, 2017 on. Like, I, baseball's a small circle of people. Like, people talk. I, I heard things. I knew things that were going on. Um, so it didn't surprise me at all. I was happy that it finally came to light because a lot of the things that I'd been talking about in regards to that situation, I'd been ridiculed for. And, um, and so when it finally became public, everyone was like, oh, shoot, maybe Bauer's not this crazy guy after all. Maybe he knew what he was talking about. Oh, they thought you were but, like conspiracy uh, theory guy. They thought you were like conspiracy theorists. Yeah. What were you saying? Yeah, for sure. I just I accused them of cheating um, <laughs> in like 2018, I believe. Um, and then in the after the 2018 postseason, uh, you know they had it, we played them in 2018 in the postseason. They had someone in our camera well, like with a camera phone, filming our dugout. 
And I was like, in my head, I was like, if they're, if they're that out in the open with that, you know, what do they actually care about hiding? Uh, and, uh, you know, this is the, the stuff with the cameras, the computer vision algorithms, the, uh, the code breaker system, the potential of buzzers, the banging on the trash can, like all this different stuff that I've heard. I was like, okay, well, that's, that's you know, what they're doing. So every time we went and faced the Astros, like it, going into 2018, we had an hour meeting uh, before the series about how we were going to relay signs from the catcher to the pitcher. And after that hour meeting, we still did not have a good system that we thought could beat what they were doing. And then, you know, after that series, guys like uh, Clevenger got a lot of heat for it. He came out and said, you know, he wanted to say everything that we knew, but knew that he couldn't say it right then because it would just be looked at as being like bitter. So he says, you know, he kind of bites his tongue in the interview and says that, oh, you know, we were outclassed analytically. Um, and oh, he, great he, words. Yeah. And so then he got a lot of heat internally from the Cleveland staff. Like, why are you throwing under, throwing us under the bus? We were super prepared. And he's like, no, I wasn't talking about that at all. I was oh. talking about the fact that they're cheating. They're going over the line. And, you know, we chose not to do that. We chose to play by the rules. And then so we were outclassed in the data analytics space because, you know, they have these algorithms and stuff. But he couldn't say any of that stuff. And so when it finally came out, it was like, two or three years of just this built up frustration about not being able to say something and then finally just unleash and like, all right, they're going to get what they, what they deserve. They'll be known as cheaters and I'll make sure that they're not going to be forgotten or that that fact is not going to be forgotten. Were you guys thinking about throwing at them? A lot of the thought was the pitchers are just going to throw and peg them and everything like that. Like that's the sanctity of baseball. Like, Hey, you screw us over. Don't worry. We got an answer for you as well. Was that a thought for you guys? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think it's justified to have that be a thought for certain pitchers. That's not my thought, personally. I think nothing that happens on a baseball field is serious enough to risk life or death. And at 90 miles an hour, 95 miles an hour, you hit someone in the head. There's, I mean, you watch pitchers get hit in the head, and some guys, you know, are on on the brink of dying. Don't come. Don't ever come back. Career ending. Like, it's not worth that. So I wasn't going to do it. I'm just going to make sure that the public ridicule ridicule doesn't go away. You know, it's now right. part of like pop culture. Yep. And so, you know, just casually reminding people that Houston cheated in 2017 and that the World Series <laughs> is a, you know, an illegitimate title, uh, I think is fair play now. Just like when, when Cleveland blew a 3-1 lead in the World Series, everyone jumped on board with, oh, you blew a 3-1 lead. You know, it's part of like pop culture. Um, so that, that'll be part of, that'll be part of baseball lore for a long time. And I think it's well-deserved, but the physical side of things and hitting people, I, personally, I'm not, I'm not about that. I mean, what would you do with, with, with it? Would you take away their piece of metal? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just a, just a piece of, I, the funniest part about that comment is it literally is the commissioner's trophy. <laughs> That's what it's called. So <laughs> it's your, it's your award, pal. It's named after you, buddy. Have yeah, a little respect. Man, I, I don't know. I, I don't know how you can, I don't know how you can. Um, not <laughs> take that away at least, or at least, you know, strip them of it. Maybe you don't take the physical piece back, but you just at least strip them of it in the record book or something. I mean, it's, it's been, it's proven that they cheated that entire year. Like, I don't understand. If I knew what, a- if I knew what pitch was coming and I had technique, I had figured out the technique of getting my hip, how big of an advantage, that's a massive advantage, huh? That's just huge. It's huge. It's huge, yeah. I mean, if you look in spring training, the, the biggest indicator of this is every spring training, pitchers come out and they throw live batting practice to their hitters before games start, right? And if you look at all those fields, there's a net in front of the pitchers because the hitters know what's coming and the pitchers are signaling. They're throwing a bullpen and the hitters are just standing there swinging to like see some pitches coming in because they haven't seen pitches in three or four months. It's dangerous. <laughs> so they put a net in front of the pitchers so that the pitchers don't take line drives and get hit. And yet now in the, in the game, you have hitters at the highest level of competition 
that know what's coming and the pitchers don't know that they know what's coming you know so it's like they're just taking yeah, bp it's, it's in dangerous. the world series they're just taking bp in the world series basically yeah basically they're yeah. cheaters they're cheaters houston astros cheaters 2017 a bunch of bs take that piece of metal back yeah i'm i'm, I'm on board with that all right bingo you got anything for him Dix? yeah i was gonna ask about the uh oh, hold on hold on Dix. okay ty this guy we have a guy his name his name's ty schmidt here got accepted into harvard okay said nah didn't go to harvard because he wanted to play baseball at iowa okay this guy's name's ty ty go ahead just guys yeah go hawks baby uh <laughs> just curious what's your uh what's your favorite park to pitch in favorite park to pitch in man i, I love seattle um partially because it's one of my top three ballparks just visually uh i, I think it's a, a fantastic ballpark uh, but it's also the air is really dense and it, it plays really big so it's hard to hit homers out of there uh, so it's a good pitcher's park i haven't played in petco yet i know that's a that's a beautiful one i've been there multiple times but i would probably have to say seattle is my favorite park to pitch in the, the braves park and uh and pittsburgh are gorgeous as well pittsburgh but. stay i mean i'm from pittsburgh the pirates are stink so bad <laughs> does, does everybody in baseball hey. know like hey they're not going to spend any money on anybody don't go there it's a wasteland <laughs> Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Tucker Barnhart's our guy. Love that man. I love Tuck. I love Tuck. Yeah, I'm looking forward to getting back around everybody so we can hang out. we got some good conversations to go on. I love that guy. When are things starting back up for you guys? This weekend, just hang out? I don't know about workouts and stuff like that. When do you guys expect it? I mean, it all depends on this deal, I guess. But do you guys have something laid out? Yeah. Like, hey, we'll start getting back into it a little bit here and there? Yeah, so uh, the facilities have slowly been opening back up, uh, which is good. So I think um, I think Great American is open. I saw some pictures coming from guys that are in Great American Ballpark in Cincy. I know the facility out here in Goodyear has been open in a limited capacity. So right now everyone's kind of scattered. They're back home with their families. And so guys are figuring out, okay, are we going to go to Cincy? We're going to be there. You know, When are we going to do that? Are we going to go back out to the Arizona? Is that where you know, spring training version two is going to take place. Everyone's starting to kind of get this machine churning and figure out the logistics of where we need to be and when, because we anticipate over the next couple of weeks that we'll have uh, an agreement in place and that, you know, it'll be time to start getting ready for a season. Trevor, I can't thank you enough for joining us, brother. You stayed here way too long. You didn't have to do that. The fact that you did, I appreciate it. Am I getting my leg all the way up here? How high am I going with my leg when I'm pitching here? Hey, you know, it's just as high as you want. Some guys, Nolan Ryan kicks himself in the face every time he does it. Some guys just slide step. So it's all stylistic. <laughs> I like that. That looks good. Yeah, I think, I think I'm going to have to do a lot of distracting before the ball is pitched if I have a chance. So I'm going to do a lot of that shit. You know what I mean? I love it. <laughs> hey, we'll get you out here in the desert. I'll face you in the box, and you can get on the mound, and I'll face you as a header. Ooh. We'll see who comes out on top. Let's see. Okay. <laughs> when I go out there, Trevor... All right, and I put these sons of bitches on. <laughs> the BGs, I've learned, is what they're called. Cleverly batting gloves. Uh -huh. When these go on, the game stop, Trevor. You might think I'm Mr. Friendly Guy. Wait until I'm out there. <laughs> Wait until I'm out there. You know what I mean? Hey, I'm good-natured in interviews, but I step on the mound. It's a completely different beast, so we'll match each other. Oh! oh! Uh -oh. What if I come in there with two fucking <laughs> That'd be a first for me. <laughs> Live at bats. 
go watch it on YouTube. It, it is awesome. It's fascinating. It is. They got great angles. I've never seen pitchers go full go not in a game. It was awesome. You're mm -hmm. in shorts and a t-shirt. The batter's trying to. I mean, it was. It's a very, very, very good idea. I appreciate you doing that. You can learn a lot about the baseball too. Yeah, no, it's it's a lot of fun. Highly encourage people to check it out. Just guys out there having fun playing the game and being themselves. And at a future date, when everything slow down here with the whole, you know, virus, mm. I'm be hitting dingers out there. Yeah. <laughs> I can't wait for that. That's gonna be that's gonna be a riot. Ladies and gentlemen, at Bauer Outage, legend Trevor Bauer. Yeah! Hey, thanks, man. I appreciate the hell out of you. Yeah, thanks for having me on. It's been great. Thanks for staying. Thanks for staying so long. How long has it been? It seems like only five minutes. Yeah, that's, oh. that's good. That's a great compliment. You know, that's a great compliment. <laughs> that's what we're trying to do. You know, make you comfortable, make you happy. But that was good stuff. That was really good baseball talk. So sorry to interrupt. I just want to let you know that Father's Day is coming up. So give Dad the gift he really wants this year: perfectly aged, tender steaks. Omaha Steaks will deliver the world's best steaks and a huge variety of other favorites directly to your dad's door. Omaha Steaks is America's original butcher since 1917. You can order with complete confidence today and have peace of mind knowing you're sending dad the very best. There's a money-back guarantee. There's some free amazing steak-cut bacon with some of the packages. And it's the most tender, flavorful meat on earth. They've been in business since 1917. Omaha Steaks, America's original butcher, is doing it again with Father's Day. Right now, Omaha Steaks is offering listeners of this show across a variety of amazing packages that are perfect to send Dad for Father's Day. Go to omahasteaks.com and enter the code PAT in the search bar. You'll see all of the great options available. Many of them include... Free shipping and a free one-pound package of their perfectly cured, incredibly thick, applewood smoked steak cut bacon. Let's go. There are many packages available that are perfect for Dad, and they're all ready to be shipped straight to his door in time for Father's Day. Omaha Steaks always comes through for Father's Day with incredible deals. They're doing it again. OmahaSteaks.com. Type Pat into the search bar. Scan through all of their incredible packages. Many of them include free shipping and free one-pound package of their perfectly cured, incredibly thick applewood smoked steak cut bacon. Damn. Sounds good coming out. Tastes great going in. Shout out to Omaha Steaks. Saving Father's Day. Don't buy a tie. Buy some meat. Some damn good meat. We're being joined now by Florida Gator head football coach, Dan Maul. Yeah! 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 I didn't know I didn't know you guys were a Jordan team down there. I bet you the swag is next level for the Florida Gator football team. Well, it is. I, I have uh, I have a pretty good I have a pretty strong shoe game to be honest with you. The uh, I got all kinds of. Jordans, I got the custom Gator Jordan. We got, we got, we got a bunch, and uh, 
hey, you, you got to take advantage of it when you can get it, right? Uh, I think you've accomplished a lot, so you deserve it. You're helping out Jordan as well, selling down there with the Gator football team. Let's talk about the current state of events that we're in. Whenever I talked about the passing of George Floyd or any race relations issues in the past, I always said that coming from Plumborough, where I was from, which is a lower middle class, majority white community, and then I go into the locker room at West Virginia University, I got a chance to meet guys from Compton. I got a chance to meet guys from all over the world. And once you get a chance to kind of meet these people and put a face to causes and come together and go for one, I always said that a football locker room is a place, a melting pot that I wish could venture into the real world. I wish that somehow the, the locker room could go into America. Now, you are in a very important time here in talking to your team, messaging to your team in the world that we're in. How have you been handling that with your squad and what has your message been to your team? Well, I, I think one thing I, I think with our with uh, a lot of the things for our guys, uh, as you said, I think it is is a unique deal because our guys have a, a feel. I think when you're in that locker room, when you're around all the different guys, um, it is different. I, I wish some of that would more of that would get out into society. Uh, you know that feeling, that togetherness, that teamness. Uh, but I know for our guys, I, th I think one big challenge is when you look at, at respecting the respect of people where you, you don't always, you know, I, you can't put yourselves in other people's shoes and know how they feel, know how they think, know how it is. But I think it's important to respect other people in that way. You know, it's, it's important to respect uh, what it must be like to go through that and have that respect for other people. Don't try to assume I know what's best for you or you know what's best for me. And, and I, I, hey, I know what it must feel like to walk in your shoes. Uh, one of the things we talked about the other day was that it's just is having the respect of the communicate and respect other people's thoughts, ideas. Um, you know, their, their religious backgrounds. When you get in a team, when you, when you get in that, that locker room, um, guys come from different racial backgrounds, socioeconomic backgrounds, religious backgrounds, uh, you know, and, and but everybody kind of respects us, respects each other, respects the work that they do, respects the work that they put in, uh, respects their contribution to the team. And as we get in this society it, it, that we can respect other people, you know, I, I, and I, I think that is such an important thing. Don't don't try to assume something from somebody else. Just respect their background, respect who they are, you know, and, and really try to bring love and caring into the community. I, I think th that is it. it when you, you can have that respect to people and that love for other people, um, it's going to go a long way. It's a special place, that locker room. And I think the reason why the bonding happens is because you go through things together. You're going through workouts at 6 a.m. together. You're going through conditioning that's miserable. You're going through training camp. You're going through the highs, the lows of a football season together. And I think America went through something together in the coronavirus quarantine. That's why I think the response to the George Floyd murder was everybody was on the same side because we were kind of like all in this thing together. And then obviously the riots and, protest, or the riots and violence took a different direction. But I think we're in a better place than we've been and i think we're closer to real change for real equality for everybody than we've ever been now let's talk about you speaking of the coronavirus and the quarantine and now protests and riots and the world being upside down this is not an easy time to be a football coach this is not an easy time to build a team i'd assume how have you guys been handling has been zoom calls what has been the thought process going through this all well, you know, we, we've done a lot, you know, and we, and we, as a coach, you're trying to mix things up, mix things up, keeping everybody engaged, keeping everybody, uh, you know, focused on, on our goal of trying to become a better football team. 
and you know so we've done it we've had a lot of we've done all the zoom meetings uh that have been out there uh you know when you're you're come in and you do a zoom team meeting we've had a lot of different guest speakers come from different walks of life to try to you know i mean mix it up and give give some different advice give some different things of how how guys have succeeded in their career how to manage your career how to manage life beyond football um motivational speakers all kinds of different things and then a lot of football meetings uh you know we're pretty fortunate our guys on starting on monday on june 8th our guys can come back for voluntary workouts on here we campus. go here we uh, go yeah. here we go <laughs> i like that and uh you know and and hey we don't have everybody coming back and i'm great with that you know i mean guys are kind of in a routine at home they're in it in it, it they feel comfortable with their settings they feel they're going to be able to take care of themselves there you know even though we can come back and have voluntary workouts uh, we're still going to be in virtual meetings uh and zoom meetings and uh, that we're that we're using and uh so for us you know hopefully it continues to progress in that direction i think anytime you know one of the things is there is so much change going on and change is very uncomfortable for people you know and then you know that that's one thing that is hard is change is uncomfortable for a lot of people and when you know we're changing and i and i not the the social aspect of everything trying to change is football right now you know we we didn't have spring practice we're not back as a team going through summer conditioning as a whole team together right now so it is going to be a great deal of change for us football wise getting back together and you know ours is you know when, when you handle this uh everything that's going on with the coronavirus right now is is a word it's an adversity you're dealing with and it's a diversity hopefully that we attack head on and we get better and you know anytime you handle you're faced with adversity. You have an opportunity to get better. Yeah. And hopefully we're, we're a team that has handled adversity as well or better than any other team out there. And if that's the case, when we do kick off, um, you know, hopefully in the fall, that foot hits the ball. Uh, we've dealt with adversities as a team. We've, we've found a way to get stronger. We've found a way to continue to get better. And we handle adversity in a better way. And we come out ready to go play football uh, when we get on the field. What have you been hearing about the return to football? There's always the Ohio State guy came out and he said, we think we can have 25%. And then the Saints came out and said 13,000. And then Texas was like, you can have 25% uh, capacity in the stadiums. I don't think anybody has a clue. So I think there's been a lot of things thrown at the wall. What have you been hearing? What are the realistic expectations you think for when the football games will start back up on time or not? Well, I certainly hope that we're going to start up on time. I, I think the one thing we have to do is look and say, okay, you know, as it pertains to uh, the football scheduling and where we're at, uh, we're three months away from kickoff, okay, the beginning of June. So if, if you go back to the beginning of March, um, you know, as far as where we are with this pandemic, the world, we were in a much different place here in the United States March 1st than we are today. Uh, so – for me to say this is where we're going to be September 1st, I think it's really irresponsible. You know, I, I think, um, you know, one of the things we can do, and I, I think uh, people are going to come out of this. I, I think, you know, the first month, everyone, yeah, you didn't, didn't handle it the right way. Then we get into learning how to grow, learning how to social distance, learning how to, you know, I mean, to wear my, my gator mask Ooh. walking around. <laughs> oh, that's a good master. Oh, uh, <laughs> Smart uh, mascot, but I think I think I think we're a lot more responsible about things and how to deal with this and how to deal with the change that's going on. So, um, you know, to sit there and say, "Hey, September first, we're going to have this percentage of people in the stands, or we're going to start the season on this day exactly right now," that's so far off into the future. I, I think what we have to do is continue our responsibility to continue to progress in the right direction. Here in Florida, our governor did a great job. The state reopened. Um, 
I think people have reopened in a very responsible manner. You're seeing people outside a lot more kind of getting back to uh, the new normal of life, if you will. Um, and you haven't seen a, a, a huge spike in cases. So I think our governor, our, our university president administration have done a good job. And we continue to take these small steps forward. And if we can continue to take the small steps forward, continue to grow, continue to get back to life as normal. Well, I, I, I'm interested to see where we're going to be a month from now. I'm interested. You know, we're at a different place yeah. today than we were a month ago. I think um, we all, hey, by the way, I, I want to see where we're going to keep going. And as long as we're responsible and I don't see why we can't start football on time and hopefully have fans in the stands. Yeah, I think that's a very smart way to look at it. Adam Silver of the NBA, he was the first commissioner to come out and say, I'm not giving any real timetable until at least June. Because there was a lot of predictions being made at certain times, and they were both gloom, doom, and like, yeah, we'll be able to do it. And then two days later, we get a whole new thing. And we live in a very, I don't know, question mark future world right now. Nobody knows. That's the right way to look at it. But as a football coach, you've had a lot of success with a lot of quarterbacks. Alex Smith. Dak Prescott, Tim Tebow. Whenever you're, by the way, shout out Tim Tebow. Hey, shout, out Tim Tebow. <laughs> shout out Tim Tebow. We're a big Tim Tebow show around here, Dan. But the, um, what has it been like working with your players? You can't really change much, I'd assume, in this Zoom meeting, right? It's it's just got to be like kind of driving home the things that they already know. Hopefully, is that have you changed any tactics and changed any anything in, in the off season here? You know, I mean, what you work on is, you know, one of the big things when this all started, we talked to our guys is don't worry about what you can't worry. You know, don't 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 spend all this time worrying about what we can't do. Let's worry about what we can do and how to get better in those things. You know, I mean, because I mean, ever everything you sit there and I know hey, it's hard. It's human nature. I mean, as a coach, I, I you know, I'm frustrated. I work very detailed. I like my schedule. I like to know, OK, tell me what I'm going to do in July and in August. I'm going to have it detailed and exact. Um so you, but you have you can't worry about that right now. You have to worry about the things you can control and get better. So you know we we had a, a, a meeting this morning with our staff and said, okay, hey, we've gone through the installation, we've gone through cutups, we've watched the video. You know now it's our guys are teaching each other. Now hey, I want to hear the I want to hear you as a player teach me. How are we building the knowledge within uh. the game? How are you building your knowledge as a player right now? Because it's, it's hard. I can't get out there and technically teach you. I'm not you know I'm not worried about. Well, you know, it's hard for me to get out there, show you weight transition and, and technically do a lot of fundamentals and technique. But we certainly can work the brain and the knowledge and processing of information. And, um, you know, so we're, we're finding different ways to try to do that, have our guys process information, learn faster, learn quicker, uh, see it and recognize it and train the brain as best we can, because that's one of the things we certainly can work on in meetings right now. In between the years is the most important place on earth. Literally, you're either going to make it or you're I not. Mean, because- you're a- you're a specialist, so there's only so many times Athlete. I can go through. You know, I mean, kick the ball between the uprights on the video, right? You know what I'm saying? I mean, the scheme for place kickers isn't quite as huge. So, All right. I mean, those guys, I'm like, I'm, you know, I have them making stupid videos of each other and kind of trying to keep themselves abused because there's only so much I could do with those guys. But, you know, the quarterbacks, it's a different deal. We, you know, I. I mean, I, I tell our, you know, our, our long snapper, you know, you got about four or five different punt schemes. I mean, <laughs> catch the, 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 you know, the punter. We're punting right. We're punting middle. We're punting left. Take it okay, easy. Hey, that is, that is hard. That is hard to understand, Coach. I mean, that is difficult stuff to pick up. I've always said punters and kickers don't get enough respect for the playbook diligence. We know our plays <laughs> inside and out better than anybody else on the roster. 
I mean, they, those guys, if, if they make a mistake, I look at the guys sometimes, you know, shake my stress. I'm like, I'm like, I'm like I, got, I got guys in special teams meeting that actually have to play another position, maybe play multiple positions, and then come into the special teams meeting and need to know the scheme. You know, I'm not asking you, you know, as a long snapper, hey, snap and set left and then cover and you're, a, you're you know, your nose up or you're a five-yard landmark guy. That's not that complicated, you know, sometimes. <laughs> the, the checking protections and breeding coverage, but – uh, I didn't know no, you hated specialist coach. I didn't know I would have started this conversation <laughs> a lot different. I didn't know that. No, Dan. I'm, a special, I'm a specialist lover. You oh, know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, I, love, I spend I spend my time with those guys, but they uh, they uh, you know I mean life's pretty good to be a specialist, oh, isn't yeah. it? It's great until you miss. <laughs> it's, it's <great>. hey, <laughs> I will say that. Hey, there is nobody that you you know. I mean, you sit there as you know the quarterbacks. Hey, you miss a block, you come back and play the next play. They kind of forget about the interception you threw in the first quarter if you leave us down the drive on a two-minute drive, oh, right? Yeah. But I'm going to tell you what. You walk out there, you know, and you kick that game-winning field goal, you know, against Florida State or Georgia or Tennessee this year. That's kind of a major impact on your social life for the next couple <laughs> of weeks. Either, either good or the complete worst way possible. <laughs> Coach, uh, I assume you guys are going to go undefeated this year, yeah? Undefeated? You know what? I look at it. I don't. I don't. I, when I look at our schedule every year, I assume we are. I don't. I mean, I guess it is. Like, I mean, if I looked at it that way and said, "Hey, boy, I don't see us winning that game," I guess I'd tell the coaches, "Hey, why don't you guys go home, man? You know what I mean? I mean, we're not going to win this one anyway. So, if, you know, this time of year, you assume you're going undefeated every year. I plan on winning every game we play. Uh, you're the best. Uh, we got to get out of here for radio. We'll see you on the other side. Hold on one second, Dan. We'll see you tomorrow, radio. You're the best humans on earth. Thanks for listening. All right, now we're on YouTube, Dan. All right, you could swear, by the way. I don't know if you're holding back any uh, any swears. Now, we're not FCC regulated. That is something to think about, though. Like, Joe Flacco will get asked, do you think you're an elite quarterback? And at that point, Joe Flacco is the starting quarterback for the Baltimore Ravens. What is he supposed to say? No, I am not an elite quarterback. And people are like, oh, Joe has no confidence, can't be a quarterback. And then somebody will say, do you think you're going to win this weekend? And you're on a team that is busting your ass. And they go, yeah, I think he's going to Well, he's guaranteeing a win. He's like, guaranteeing what, are, win. Yeah. what are you supposed to think? Well, you know what? Hey, it gives people if, – if we don't say stuff like that, nobody has anything to talk True. about all True. day. True. Yeah, we appreciate right? that. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, – <laughs> the uh, but it is – you know, I, I want our guys – you know, I, I think people have to understand there's there's a big difference between confidence and cockiness. You know, I, I think when you sit there and you say, hey, you know, hey, I mean, we expect to win the game this weekend. That's not cockiness. That, that's your confidence in, hey, I'm going to work hard. I'm going to prepare the right way. You know, when you, you say – there's big differences. Hey, coach, you know, I expect us to go undefeated this this year. I'm not guaranteeing it because I'll be honest with you. Uh, I have two national championship, you know, uh, rings here Florida. And um, we didn't go undefeated in either of those two seasons, you know, and we still won national championships. So, uh, you know, your expectations, uh, you know, are, are, are very different maybe than, than being cocky. And when guys come out, that's say. I certainly don't want a quarterback that doesn't think he's an elite quarterback. I don't want a quarterback that doesn't think he it doesn't expect he's going to win the game. Um, that those are the guys that you want on your team. You know, I mean, I, we all saw. You know, I'm sure everybody watched the the Jordan special. And it, oh yeah, it was either episode six or seven. That last two minutes, 
you know don't play that way i think there's probably a lot of people maybe that were even offended by that you know and when he said you know and he said hey there's a price for winning as a competitor and somebody involved in sports at an extremely high level i mean that that defines who we are and what we do and there and people that are you know that are offended by it Hey, that's you. I, I I feel you, but that's probably why you're not that a high end competitive athlete. You know, because I didn't. I thought that was one of the greatest things I've ever heard. You know, as did you as hear Jordan? Coach. Did you hear Jordan say, "Well, that's you. You're probably a loser." Basically, is what he said. <laughs> yeah. Like it was a real statement, though. It's like, hey, there is a sacrifice that you have to make, and there is a mindset you have to make to be great at anything. And I think if you look around at all the greats, the one trait that they all have in common is they work their asses off. That is, a, people that can work their asses off is a high part of that trait. And I think Jordan was an exceptional worker. It was a, it was a special show. And one of the things that I respected, and I talked about our coaching staff about it, I can't come with that approach every day because I'm responsible for everybody on our team if that makes sense to a point you know i can't come at a win at all costs I, I, i'm responsible for the development of young people in their lives right and, yeah. and if you look and one of the things that works so well between you know i think the phil jackson and the jordan is phil jack you want you want i want jordans on my team you know i want those guys oh yeah you know but then as a coach your job is to manage the team and make sure and balance everybody within that organization I want that guy that is going to go out there and, I mean, is it wants to win. Savage. And then my job as a coach is to make sure, hey, that we're balancing everybody to do it the right way. Um, you know, and I think that's what – that that's what was so great. But, I mean, tell me I, – I, you know, I saw that and I'm like, hey, I, I, want, I want guys. I want, I want a guy to sit in my office on, you know, when I'm getting ready to recruit him. I want him to say what Jordan was saying then to me, and I'm saying, hey, we want you to be a Gator. That's <laughs> what I want. I want a team of those guys, how you know, those ultimate competitors. How has this affected recruiting? I'd assume this has been a quite a wild time in recruiting, a lot more FaceTimes, I'd assume, and stuff of that nature. Is that accurate? I, I think it is. I, I think it's gone a little, a little bit crazy in recruiting. One of our guys said, I think there are uh, uh, over double the number of commitments now than there were this time last year. And I think that's – I don't think that that's – I don't know that that's a healthy thing, but, you know, because guys are – they can't get to campus. They can't have this exposure. Guys are – people are – you know, I think there's – you know, the, uh, everybody's worried about all the different things and how this is going to play out and, and that nervousness instead of going through recruiting and saying, hey, I got to know the coaches, built the relationship, came to campus. I have a great feel. I'm comfortable with that environment. I want to play for this coach. I mean, we're now doing – we're virtual tours, you know. I mean, we're flying around campus on – virtual like google maps and other stuff and hey let's go over to this building and virtually talk to these people um so i think it's 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 kind who's of who's got the best crazy. drone game who's got the best drone game <laughs> in the recruiting and then you, you show the show and then you go into the school and then you talk to the professor that the ability to adapt there that all had to happen rather quickly i'd assume coach huh it's been it has been very different. I, I, I say that it has been very very different, and uh, you know for the guys, and it, it, so it's just a different experience. It's been a little bit crazy, uh, you know, because and then uh, you know I mean you're you're on the phone a lot more probably because guys have more time on their hands. But uh, you know that's just the reality of it right now within recruiting. 
Last question before I let you go, and you're staying overtime, so I think you. you probably have stuff going on here. Transfer portal. You've been around college football a long time, national champion twice. You've been in and out. This transfer portal has really changed the game. I, there's some schools that are almost like banking on the transfer portal. They're like, hey, this is what we'll do. We'll save scholarships for some older players that were very talented, might have went to some big schools like Florida, didn't get playing time. Okay, we'll pull them over here. SMU, I think, had 33 transfers or something of that nature. University of Houston's going to be using the transfer portal on the regular. These are just schools that I got to talk to personally. I assume there's more out there. What are your thoughts on the entire transfer portal and how do you handle that? Well, you know what? I think this. It is what it is. So our job as a coach is to adapt to it, you know. And so one of the things is, hey, how do we use it to our, you know, and our advantage? And we've had guys come in and transfer in uh, that have made major impacts on our program. And, you know, so I think that's just the way it is. Um, I don't I'm not a big quit guy. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, you know, I, I don't want it to become a crutch for guys saying oh you know boy well i'm not starting right away and this is hard and coach wants me to work hard to earn it here so i just want to transfer over here i don't like that aspect of it um you know and so there's always going to be unintended consequences to something that's good okay i mean somebody that sits here and says hey i earned my degree from this school i'm going to be a backup i got the opportunity to go start somewhere else i want to go play somewhere else hey this wasn't the fit i thought uh, I have these extenuating circumstances. I need to go back home. Um, that's what it's for. And when it's used properly, I like it. I think one of the things we have to be really cautious with with the transfer portals, we look moving forward with the NSEC, is some of the numbers don't add up. As you say, hey, I want to save a scholarship or two for transfer portal guys. Well, you know, you're under different sets of numbers. And if you look last year, there were more people in the transfer portal than there were scholarships available. And that's not including our incoming freshmen that we already signed. So these guys are going into the portal, and it's it's actually hurting a lot of people. And I think one of the things you got to look for, look at, you know, is there a way is, you know, do you you count numbers as far as recruiting restrictions different for transfers, right? If if a one for one, if I have a guy leave Florida to go in the transfer portal, I can sign a guy out of the transfer portal. Scholarships are all equal opportunities are met for different opportunities for kids that are out there uh, instead of hey you know we signed 25 in this year's recruiting class we don't have any spots available we had three kids leave for the transfer portal we can't replace them because i've already filled my signee number for the year um, you know, so I think there's some balance of things that we're, we're going to have to get to moving forward into the future. Coach, that should be like the a club. You know, when a club's at capacity and somebody leaves the club, somebody's allowed in the club. There's actually somebody in there counting. That feels like that's exact. I mean, how have <laughs> nightclubs figured this out, but the NCAA can't figure it out? Hey, if a guy leaves our school, you know what that means? All of a sudden, the club has one capacity okay let's go or right. one i mean hey if, if you're on the wait list i mean you're just trying to get tea times out there you're <laughs> on the wait list trying to join the club you know get him uh, you're more of a nightclub guy i'm more of a golfing guy probably well, but, well, uh, by the way i did go golf this past weekend yeah. i bought out 70 times because i wanted to kind of casually drift <laughs> around with the boys here it did not get yeah it did not get respected there was somebody on our ass in front of us as soon as we teed off what'd you shoot what did you shoot I, it was bad it was a bad bad right up here in indiana we don't have the florida weather where you can golf all year round so the first couple first couple hacking sessions is bad for me because i gotta loosen up i'm tight i'm a big ball hitter i don't know where it's going i'll get good about a month 
month or two from now, and then it'll get cold, and we won't be able to golf anymore. Yeah, that's what. Hey, that like the hand, they should they should for people like you know like in different areas. Your handicap index should certainly be based on time of year as a football coach, because you know my handicap in July is certainly not my handicap in February. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, it, it goes football. down, but don't 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 apply my July handicap to my February golf round. That's not a fair thing to do. Look at you, coach. You're changing the transfer portal. You're changing golf's handicap yep. system. I mean, we're you're changing recruiting. <laughs> yeah. Coach, you're an innovator, trailblazer, two-time national champion, head coach of the Florida Gators, Dan Mullen. I appreciate you, man. Great to see y'all. Thanks for having me on. Woo. Go Gators. What shoes do you have on right now? You said you have a good shoe game collection. You have good shoes me, on? I just have regular Nike on. I got these. Uh, we got these. These are these called Nike Cruisers. Ooh. Right. Ooh. Those are workout shoes. I'm gonna shoes. tell you what; uh, these are. Uh, I, I was talking to uh, to Mr. Knight about it. I think I, if I got it right, when, when we got these. Just texting Mr. Hold on, hold on. Stop. Running shoes. Stop. Stop. You just have random conversations with Phil Knight. You just is like, hey, I was well, talking. He does. He does a coaching trip for us to oh, go on, and oh. I was fortunate enough to sit and spend some time talking. Oh. 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 Unbelievable deal, but as the Nike presentation, as they were saying, is they are they don't they don't walk; they're just slow running shoes. <laughs> they are. I'm telling you what. No, this. I mean, and, and you know this in my shoe game. I mean, I you have running shoes, but on a daily basis, man, you want something that is super comfy. This is a uh, uh, this, this 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 cruiser is an unbelievable comfortable shoe. This is why There's you my, get these meetings with Phil Knight. Yeah, listen to this. This is unbelievable. <laughs> I might even get sent another pair if I keep showing them right here. <laughs> I got Nikes on as well. I haven't said a single word to Phil Knight. But if you let him know, these sons of bitches are nice too. You know what I mean? <laughs> hey, was Florida a dream job for you? You know what? It, it really isn't in that. Uh, you know, I don't know growing up. I grew up in New Hampshire. I played small college live football. Or die. Hey, that's live free or uh, die, right? Live free or die. You is know the, it. You know <laughs> it. You know it. <laughs> um, but uh, I played small college football at Ursinus College. So it wasn't like I grew up and said, hey, this is my team. You know what I mean? This yeah. is this is what it is. Uh, you know, uh, but, but for me, when you look at it, one of the things, I haven't been here as an assistant coach. Uh, and you come back. I, I always share this with people. Like, I'm at a school right now when I go meet with family and parents. In each of the last two seasons, we're the only school in the country that was a top 10 public university academically and top 10 in football. I don't have to put spins on things. It's a great point. I mean, I don't. we don't get the credit academically out there as being, a, you know, we're the, we're the seventh ranked public university in the United States. Florida? Wow. Very good. Yeah. Big time academic school. In the Gainesville that I was in that had twenty five cent pitchers, I think I was in there like 10, 10 years ago. They had like twenty five cent pitchers. Great time too. Gainesville is also a good time. Great fan base. Number seven public school in America. I did not know that. Oh yeah, top academic school, top public university in the SEC. Uh, you know, I mean, you're up there. Go look at the. Go to U.S. News World Report. Top ten public universities. We're there. I'm on the president because we did finish sixth in football, and they were seventh academically. So he's got to pick it up a little bit. <laughs> Dr. Fox got to get us going a little bit. But, uh, but you know what? When you have that, and then you know the other thing. Hey, I know you're you're up there like in Indiana. It's a little bit chilly. Everybody's trying to get down here to Florida. You're working hard on this show. 
so that you can go retire, get a beautiful place here in Florida and work on your golf game. I live here. I got palm tree sunshine. I'm good to go. So, I mean, it is pretty much a dream job when you look at the ability to win national championships, be at a premier academic school, great recruiting base, everything you need. Uh, and I got palm trees and sunshine on top of that. It's a pretty good deal. Good for you, man. <laughs> good for you. And you, you got Phil Knight on speed dial. I mean, this is just yeah. Dan Mullen living good for New Hampshire. Isn't that Chip Kelly? Isn't he from New Hampshire? Where's he from? He's Rhode Island. And Ryan, hey, Manchester, New Hampshire. Me, Chip Kelly, Ryan Day, the hotbed of coaching, Manchester, New Hampshire. Hey, Ryan Day, good dude up there in Cincinnati as well. He could get a job anywhere he wants, and he's staying in Cincinnati. He's still in Cincinnati, right? No, Ohio State. Oh, yeah. I'm thinking of Luke Fickle. Luke Fickle. Mm-hmm. That's a, he's from Ohio. He's not in Ohio. He's a Midwesterner. Ryan Day in Ohio State, man. It's the New Hampshire connection. Golly. Live so. free or die. Well, <laughs> gotta love it. I did not know New Hampshire's a hotbed. I always thought Western Pennsylvania, this is the place. West Virginia, you got Jimbo, you got Saban, that's the place. Now, tiny little New Hampshire, live free or die, is just pumping out top 10 coaches. Are you kidding me? Good for you, coach. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Dan Moll. Yeah, Dan! Yeah. Appreciate you, Dan. Great to be with you guys. Have a great day. Hey, go Gators. Have a good one. All right, that's the show. Got a little real, had some great conversation, learned a little bit, and I learned how to throw a goddamn curveball. <laughs> I think we're going to come out of this on the other side stronger, unified, and hopefully with a country even better. I mean, we're going through it right now, though. We're going through it together. Thank you so much for listening. We will see you tomorrow. Cheers. Cheers.